Welcome to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast, the podcast for special educators who are looking for personal and professional development. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Reeve. For more than 20 years, I've worn lots of hats in special education, but my real love is helping special educators like you. This podcast will give you tips and ways to implement research-based practices in a practical way in your classroom to make your job easier and more effective. Welcome back to the Autism Classroom Resources Podcast. I'm Chris Reeve, and I'm your host, and I'm excited that you're joining us. And in this episode, I am going to share three strategies for working with families in distance learning for special education. I think we can all agree that the spring of 2020, when we started distance learning in special education in public schools, was rough for families and for teachers. Both rose valiantly to the situation, but everyone was pretty much building the plane as we flew. Fast forward to fall 2020, and many schools are facing that same choice. Whether we like it or not, distance learning is a fact of life for many families and teachers at the beginning of this year. For some families, it's been a choice. For others, it has not. Uh, Given that distance learning for special education is pretty much here to stay temporarily, I think it's important that we put arguing about it aside and figure out how to make it work, because I know that we can do better with it than we did in the spring. So how do we do distance learning for special education better? I think that's the question we need to be asking. At this point, we have it. We know that we're going to do it. We need to figure out how to make it work. Uh, I can't answer it completely, obviously, in a podcast, but I do know that in order for distance learning for special ed to be better, educators and families are going to need to work closely together. We need to build our relationships with each other. We need to communicate effectively, and we must build in accountability if we expect special education students to make progress. So in this episode, I want to focus on how we start to do all of that. I've got three really meaty tips uh, that probably could be more if I numbered it differently that can help special education teachers to make distance learning a more positive and effective experience by working with the families. So let's get started. There are so many things like that I feel that I could say about this topic. I could probably go on for a while. And in fact, we're working on enough workshops in the Special Educator Academy to work our way up to a full course on this concept. And obviously, distance learning is going to look different for every different special ed student. They're all individuals. We're going to need to plan according to what works and what doesn't for them. I'm not saying that it works for everybody, but I'm saying we can do better than we have just because we've got time to plan. So my first tip in working with families to make distance learning work for special education is to start small and easy. Now, I know it's going to be really tempting after the way we ended the year, as we did, to jump into the new year feet first. I know there's going to be pressure from school districts and families to test students for retention. And I know that teachers are eager to get started on everything that they know their students need to learn. But my first tip for teachers and for families is to resist this pressure a little bit. We need to start small. 
I think one of the things that we saw in our spring experience was many families were overwhelmed, teachers were overwhelmed, we were throwing things at families, and it was too much. Um, so we really need to make sure that we are onboarding well, for lack of a better term, we're bringing families into this new way of learning uh, in a slower process. And we're starting small. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. Uh, and by doing this, I do think we will get a better, clearer assessment of the student's skills. So we need to start with master tasks and high reinforcement. We want distance learning to be successful for both the families and the students. Many families struggled in the spring to get their children to work effectively with them. Some of them saw more challenging behavior than we see at school. Others just had difficulty motivating their children to work for them as they do for their teachers. And this isn't unusual, and it in no way means that the parents were doing anything wrong. Instead, it means that we have to work on getting instructional control between the parent and the child, just like we do in the classroom. Children don't respond to new teachers that way until we have a relationship with them. The way that we do that is that we have teachers and paraprofessionals and all educators pair themselves with reinforcement. Starting with easier tasks means there's more opportunities for families to reinforce correct responses. That helps to make the instruction with them more reinforcing. Students need to experience that high level of reinforcement coming from their caregiver or their facilitator during their instruction in order for it to work effectively later on. Another piece of starting small is finding things that are quick wins for parents and not giving them everything all at one time. Let's start with one thing and then two things and then three things. As they get things built into their home routines, it's easier to add more. And by starting with easier tasks that our students can do, that our parents can implement, parents get a quick win. They're reinforced by working with their child. Parents and teachers need reinforcement too, just as much as students do. We typically get reinforced by student success. Students' challenging behavior in response to instruction, however, usually serves to punish our efforts. And over time, you might see will willingness to work with the students decrease. We see it in our classrooms as well. And that, of course, is the opposite of what we want. So we want the families to have one or two simple things that they start with that they can do that they can be successful with because that's going to make them want to take the next step. And when it comes to assessing retention effectively, let me just address the elephant in the room. Yes, we absolutely need to figure out what skills the students have retained in order to determine if there's a need for compensatory education. However, if our students were back in school, we would likely spend a week or two getting them adjusted to the routine. If your kids are coming back this year, that's probably one of the things you'll do when the students get back to the building is spend some time adjusting them to all the new routines. We spend the first week or so of school teaching the schedule, teaching the rules, and it shouldn't be any different in distance learning. It's just that that routine looks a little bit different. Plus, if we jump right into testing, we're probably not really going to get a good picture of what the student can and can't do because we're going to get resistance. 
and families will still be struggling to make it all work and get the student to work with them. So by spending some time starting out easy, students will perform better when we assess their skills. I'm not saying leave it for after the first nine weeks. I'm saying give it a couple weeks and then start to add in those things. The second tip is to collaborate with and train families. I keep hearing people on television talking about parents having to be their child's teacher in distance education. In reality, though, that should not be completely accurate. And they certainly should not be doing it alone. Educators have the knowledge about how to teach and implement the curriculum and more. Families have the expertise in knowing their child and what he or she needs, knowing what worked or didn't work in the spring, and knowing what's going to work in their family. Because every distance learning experience for our students may look a little different. There is no one size fits all in this world. Parents and caregivers should be facilitators of the child's education in distance learning. And that role is difficult enough with all the other commitments that they have going on. They should not be expected to teach the curriculum. For some students with significant disabilities, they will play a larger role in instruction. Um, They will need to actually implement things, but they should be directed by the educators. It is the educator's responsibility to teach the parents how to facilitate that learning in the same way that we teach paraprofessionals in our class to facilitate at school. It's the educator's responsibility as well to create the lessons and collaborate with the family in how to implement those lessons. To do this, parents are going to need training and the caregiver, whoever it is that's facilitating, is going to need training. I actually just created a workshop on how to train families in the Special Educator Academy, in addition to all of our other resources on working with families and as well as distance education. And I created it specifically because this is a new role for teachers, and it will get even more attention as we move through this process. It's a different type of relationship between schools and families, but it's a critical one in this instance that we work together. We have to collaborate and coordinate learning. Part of this process of training and collaboration needs to include helping families figure out how to fit distance learning into their routines. I talked in episode 35 about how to fit learning into natural routines at home. I outlined some ways to do it, and you can find more in the post about the Teaching at Home Toolkit, which has tools that can help families do that. Uh, But it's really important that we connect with the families of the students. So do a survey, reach out to them, ask questions about their routines, ask questions about what times are good or not good for them to facilitate instruction. Help them work through how to manage all of this in conjunction with all the other commitments they have. By starting small, you're going to help parents start to build parts of the students learning into their everyday routine. Not all distance education needs to be face-to-face with the teacher. 
and it doesn't need to take place only during school hours. If there's an asynchronous practice part that the student needs, they could do that at a time that works for the family. So for instance, if the student has an independent work system at home and he's familiar with it from school, he could practice his skills while mom is on a conference call or dad is working with another child on schoolwork. So don't limit yourself to only thinking school has to be during school hours. And the tip number three is that teachers need to be responsible for sharing lesson plans and learning plans with families. I mentioned earlier that it's important to differentiate that special educators bring expertise and education to the table. As educators, we are responsible for planning the lessons, assuring that the IEP is met, making sure that strategies are working and evaluating progress. We need to document that, certainly. We also need to make sure that we are sharing with the families how that's happening. But more importantly, we need to collaborate and we need to share that information with written plans so that families have something to work from. We should do the planning and collaborate with them in terms of scheduling. However, ultimately, the teacher needs to be responsible for monitoring how the plans are implemented. Families need to be need more than materials shared with them or online lessons. We can't just send things home and expect the families to know what to do with them. They need a cohesive plan for how this can be implemented in the home environment. Teachers need to know what goals can and can't be implemented at home so they can address that within their district's requirements for IEP changes. As teachers, we need to take the responsibility to lay out the lessons on a daily and or weekly basis. Plans, of course, need to be flexible. Maybe a parent has more time to work with a student on one day than another. But parents need to know how the IEP is being implemented and why they're being asked to do certain activities with their students. They need direction in how to break tasks down into smaller components. And they need plans, for instance, on how to take a cooking lesson and plan it out through a whole week. So they need that information because otherwise they're just going to read the story and it's done. And what are we doing for the rest of our school this week? They're going to cook the activity and they're going to miss the other things that we can teach with those materials. So one way to do this is to use the teaching implementation plan. I talked about the teaching implementation plan in episode 42, and you can find that at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 42. And it makes a great tool for laying out how instruction for the student from his or her IEP will be implemented across the curriculum and across his day and week. It can serve as a distance learning plan of sorts if your district doesn't already require one. It's also a helpful tool for families to see the importance of activities they're asked to do and how they contribute to the child's education. We also want to make sure we send home full lesson plans that show all the different tasks and steps for an activity uh, so that the parents know on one day I'm going to do this, on another day I'm going to do this, what is expected of me in assignments. So we want to make sure we've got a central place to send them to that show them what the assignments are for this day or this week. So those are just some ways that educators and families can make the distance learning for special education work for them. I'll leave you with a quote that I've always loved, and I think it sums up specifically what we're being tasked to do in this extraordinary situation. It's by Judith Billings, who was the superintendent of a Washington school district, and she simply says, children are the priority. 
change is the reality. Collaboration is the strategy. And I've always thought that was such a good phrase because all of us have the priority of the students. All of us know that that is who we have at the center of our plan. We know that this is a lot of change for both sides of the IEP table. And the only way that we're going to manage it is by collaboration. If you're looking for more ideas and strategies for making distance and classroom education work, the Special Educator Academy has what you need. We've got courses in distance learning, setting up your classroom, and how to master difficult problems like data collection and behavior. And you can find out more about that at specialeducatoracademy.com. I would love to hear more about your challenges and successes with distance learning and anything involving this really crazy year. Come and share in our free Facebook group at specialeducatorsconnection.com. You can find the transcript and related links in the blog post for this episode at autismclassroomresources.com slash episode 46. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I really do appreciate it. I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes or your uh, podcast app of choice. And I hope to see you in our free Facebook group for educators. Thank you. Mm -hmm.